By nature, diversity is uncomfortable, (laughs) at least initially, right? Until we can embrace and accept the discomfort of having someone with a different opinion, a different life experience and different idea or way of doing things. That that part is not that part is not trendy or, you know, or glamorous. We'd like to think that like diverse community is um, the idea of it is a lot easier to swallow. But um, the execution of it, not so much. I think there's a lot of introspection that needs to be done and we don't all know how to do that, nor do we have the language, but we need to be willing to listen and learn. And not everybody is ready for that, I don't think. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. My guest this week is Carolyn Sue. Carolyn, who is Taiwanese-American, is the creator of the Diverse We Run Instagram account, which she launched as a place to highlight runners from different backgrounds and share their stories with a wider audience. I first became aware of Carolyn a few months ago when she was featured in a Runner's World article along with 10 other BIPOC runners speaking out about their experiences with racism and perceptions of diversity within the running community. In this episode, Carolyn told me about how she found running while she was struggling with an eating disorder in college, why she still has a hard time calling herself a runner sometimes, and how running ultimately became a source of stability in her life. We also discussed why she started Diverse We Run, what it's going to take to tackle the issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation in running so that we can create a more equitable and accessible sport for everyone, and a lot more. There's no sponsor for this week's episode, but if you'd like to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support, where for as little as a buck a week, you can help keep The Morning Shakeout sustainable and also gain access to some exclusive content like The Weekly Rundown, which is my Patreon-only podcast that I co-host with my friend Billy Yang, the occasional emergency pod, and other perks that pop up from time to time. That's themorningshakeout.com slash support. All right, this was an important and loaded conversation, and I'm excited to share it with all of you. So let's dive right into it with Carolyn Sue. All right, Carolyn Sue, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. So this is the first time that we've ever spoken, and I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I first became aware of you in a Runner's World article back in May. You were featured alongside 10 other runners speaking out about running and race. And that led me to the Diverse We Run Instagram account, which you manage. And I followed until I stepped away from Instagram about a month and a half ago. But that's the extent of what I know about you. So let's start with a little intro, both for me and my listeners. I'd like to know who is Carolyn Sue? Oh, that is a good question. I feel like <laughs> I've been asking myself this question on a regular basis <laughs> the last several months. Um, no, but um, I'm Carolyn Sue, and I am a native Texan. Actually, I was born and raised in Houston, mm-hmm. and um, I am Taiwanese-American. 
And I studied nutrition in college and I practiced as a registered dietitian for a couple of years and got married. My husband and I, due to the nature of his job, we moved around the States a lot and eventually ended up settling out here in New England. And I now am a stay-at-home mom of two kids and... I'd like to think of myself as an advocate and an activist for representation in all aspects of our community. I love it. I know from the Runner's World article, and you just mentioned how you live in New England, but I know you live in Massachusetts specifically, which is where Mm -hmm. I'm from. Um, I live in Mm -hmm. California now and have for the last 10 years, but I spent most of my life in central Massachusetts. So as Mm -hmm. much as you're comfortable sharing with me, like where exactly are you in the state? Oh, I'm... In the vicinity of Boston, we're okay. like in a town just a little bit uh, west of Boston. How long have you been there? Seven years, since 2013. And does that feel like home now or is there possibility that more moving could occur? Hopefully, <laughs> I would like to not move um, in the near future uh, for my husband and I. Basically, the first... I would say like five years of our marriage, we were moving around every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I would say that living out here now has become a lot more home feeling. But at the same time, I still consider home, I think, where you know my family is, where sure. my parents are, and that would still be in, in Texas. So I'm really curious as someone who grew up in Massachusetts and now has lived away for 10 years. And the only two places I've really lived are Massachusetts and now these past 10 years in California. What are your impressions of not just Massachusetts, New England, the East Coast as a whole, as someone who grew up in Texas and has moved around to a few different places? Um. Well, (laughs) it definitely was a culture shock to move Mm -hmm. out here. Um, So, I I mean, and also to clarify, when I say moved around, it's still a lot of, I mean, it's different cities, but primarily still in Texas. And then we actually lived in Southern California for a little bit um, before moving back to Texas and then moving out here east. But um, I would say like... You know, I always thought that I wanted to live out in the Northeast. I just Mm -hmm. had this like very glamorized view of New York and Boston. And and I mean, like I grew up watching TV shows like Seinfeld or Friends and Sex and the City. And so just that life, that city life, (laughs) city living um, was very exciting and fun to me. And then plus just thinking about all the seasons that you got to experience um, also was just very enticing, you know, especially growing up in Texas, where pretty much our seasons are hot and then two weeks of cold, (laughs) where everything kind of like freezes over briefly, everything shuts down, (laughs) and then it's hot again. Um, And so just the idea of all of uh, just like experiencing different aspects of life and living Mm -hmm. was very appealing. And uh, then when we finally moved out here, it was kind of like a reality check for me because in my in my dreams and fantasies, you know, of living in the Northeast, I was this like young, independent, <laughs> single woman living life. Um, but then when we moved out here, it was after I had just given birth to my second child <laughs> who had colic 
and my husband started a new job and we moved here in the beginning of March, which is still well in yep. like winter. <laughs> there were all these blizzards and snowstorms and I was trying to figure out how to, you know, take the bus <laughs> and get to places just to get groceries. And, um, and I just remember thinking like, this is this is BS. <laughs> Our like so-called winter coats, you know, from Texas, from the Gap, <laughs> did not suffice. And they don't work so well up there now. <laughs> and um, and just like I think navigating, also um, I think. Uh, I want to say personality, you know, how there's kind of, there's yeah. a general personality of living out here, um, which is opposite from Texas, where in Texas, you know, having that Southern hospitality, that like sweetness mm -hmm. gets you far, you know, and you want to frame everything very nicely and politely. And, um, but out here, everyone's like, look, get to the point, cut to the chase. What is it yep. you need? What do you want? When do you want it? And like, and um, yeah, I just remember this one instance. I was at uh, the grocery store again. Like, I have two young kids. My baby is <laughs> is in my ergo carrier, crying because he had colic, and my toddler is sitting in the shopping cart. She's also demanding my attention, and I'm trying to tell the butcher how much how much beef <laughs> I wanted. And I said two pounds. Oh wait, no, actually, could I get three pounds? And then he just looked at me like, is it two pounds or three pounds? Which is it? What do you want? Make up your mind. <laughs> and, like, and like, there's this line of people behind me and I'm just so shocked and I want to cry. <laughs> Crawl into a hole. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I, I think I want, wait, okay, uh, let's just go back to what I said before. Two pounds, please. <laughs> and um, just moments like that where um, yeah, yeah. there was not a, oh, honey, that's all right. Take your time. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just um, adjusting to that and adjusting to the different uh, expectations and what living out in the Northeast is like with two kids <laughs> in tow and navi you know, navigating and adjusting mm -hmm. to all the seasons and how every three months you have to change everything about your life to adjust yep. <laughs> to the new season. Yep. Wardrobe changes, your schedule changes. Yep. Like you've got to bring things inside the house and you can put them back outside. Exactly. All that sort of yes. Or like opening which windows and closing which windows at mm -hmm. what time of day because you need to let the air flow or the AC needs to be turned on. And I don't know, all of these little nuances. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I was I was most interested in the personality differences because mm, for mm -hmm. me, I spent basically 28 years of my life on the East Coast. And that's what I knew. And I'd done a little bit of traveling um, up until that point, but hadn't spent any significant time anywhere else. And then I moved to San Diego, actually, mm. at first, which was a huge <laughs> culture shock for yes. me because I went from... Massachusetts, East Coast, in your face, things move fast, let's yep. be direct, to San Diego where everything's a lot slower. Even though I was working full time, I felt like I was on this permanent vacation. People couldn't make up their minds. And the weather was great, but it was just the same all year round. Yeah, like it never yeah. changed. Um, and a lot of that ended up driving me crazy. And then we've since moved, my wife and I, to the Bay Area, which is uh -huh. 500 miles to 
the north of San Diego, but mm-hmm. it's it's very different. It's definitely not it Southern is. California. It's also yeah. not the East Coast, but it's kind of this like on some level a happy medium. Not exactly a happy mm-hmm. medium, but you know things don't move quite as slowly down here. But people definitely aren't quite as in your face yeah. either. And it's just like really fascinating to me as I've moved around to experience those different personalities. And I have appreciation for like each one. I've spent some time in Texas, and the people there are darling, and they are lovely, <laughs> and they are they are so nice. And the East Coaster in me is like, what are you trying to get out of me? Yeah, uh, right. Type of thing. And I just why are you being nice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Why? Yeah, why are you being nice? Uh, and it's and it and it's just yeah, it's just really interesting in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> um, part of your identity, amongst the things that you described in your introduction, is you're a runner, and I'm really curious when you got into it. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's. Yes, I think I still sometimes have a hard time calling myself a runner. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like it, we have all these unspoken rules or standards that we may not be aware of that we operate under until someone else maybe calls you a runner or calls you by a certain, you know, whatever they perceive your identity as or whatever Mm -hmm. characteristics they perceive you possessing. But for me, oftentimes I don't realize that maybe, oh, maybe I don't fully embrace this part of my identity or who I am. Um, When I feel a little bit of that little like hesitation or pause, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in owning a certain, um, yeah, a certain skill set or, I don't know, qualifying characteristic, I guess you could say. Well, expound upon that a little bit further. Like, what was one of your first experiences with running where you were just testing it out? Well, oh, I guess going back to your previous question, um, I didn't get into running until I was a freshman in college. Um, Not because I joined a team or anything, but because I had been trying desperately to manage an eating disorder ever Mm -hmm. since I was a middle schooler. Um, And by the time I got into college, just due to the nature of being in college itself um, with all the different changes and different stressors and different social dynamics. Um, I, I, these struggles that I had with the eating disorder just intensified. And um, I felt like at that point I exhausted a lot of my, um, just a lot of the avenues I had tried in terms of calorie burning and expenditure and um, running was an activity that I never really looked into before because just nobody else I knew (laughs) growing up or in the community around me um, were like active runners. But um, in college, I had this one friend who um, he would go running from time to time. And so then I thought, hey, According to Fitness Magazine, (laughs) I can burn a lot of calories doing this activity. So Mm -hmm. um, I'll join you on a run. And so we did that. It was, and I still remember that it was like a rainy, rainy evening. And we ran from um, the University of Texas uh, campus all the way down to the state capitol. And we ran back. And and it kind of actually became a tradition of ours every first rainstorm of every semester, we would go for a run together. 
Um, but yeah, that was like, that was my first memory of running and, um, and it was about three miles and I don't remember, honestly, like I don't remember anything else more about it other than trying to calculate how many calories. <laughs> so that was you my know. next question. That yeah. was, was that the primary driver was just to burn yeah. calories at least initially? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, um, I, but, you know, thankfully as I look back and think back about, you know, that time and also just my journey in running, I'm thankful that that running had evolved in its meaning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really was very, very consumed with um, with being able to control this one aspect of my life. Um, I didn't really, I don't think I comprehended it as deeply mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and I really just thought that, oh, I just needed to focus on um, getting to X number of, you know, like whatever my goal weight was. And if I could just make my body look a certain way, then, you know, then I would be socially more acceptable. You know, essentially, that's, I think, what it was. And um, and then I could feel a sense of like, I knew like of worthiness or some sense of security in a midst of, like I said earlier, you know, like college just was a very stressful time of change. And so um, because I didn't know how to process that change, and I also did not have a good grasp of my own emotions, um, just growing up, as like I said earlier, you know, like as a Taiwanese American, um, it just culturally speaking, there's not a lot of talk uh, about expressing your emotions. And mm-hmm. aside from just like you keep your feelings to yourself, <laughs> and that's more in consideration of others. It's not so much that like oh we don't know how to um, be emotional. It's just more of like there's just this cultural belief that. Um, you know, whatever feelings um, you may be um, experiencing, that's just your personal thing. Uh, It doesn't matter if you feel a sense of sadness or loneliness. Um, It doesn't matter if you feel hurt or angry or upset. You just you just like process all of that and you figure all of that out on your own because... Keep it to yourself. Yeah, like you keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sharing it or talking about it to others, processing your thoughts and emotions to others, all that does is inconvenience others. And it takes time and capacity and energy away from someone else trying to live their life. (laughs) So so yeah, just you can imagine coming, uh, living like that and then uh, entering this phase of your life that is supposed to be this like coming of age or like growth, uh, yeah, coming of growth time in your life of like discovering who you are, but not having the tools to do that or to even understand mm-hmm. um, why you feel the things that you feel, let alone ask for help. Um, then like it just, uh, it became, I, I felt like I was imploding, (laughs) honestly, um, during my college years. And um, yeah, like running actually became a source of consistency or uh, constancy. I don't know if that's a word, but like (laughs) something that I could 
count on. You could rely on. Yeah, yeah. that I could rely on being there. And um, I eventually, when I discovered this thing called training plans, um, it became like something that I just needed. It just was that one source of stability where it didn't matter if I couldn't figure out organic chemistry or it didn't matter if I was having social anxiety about things. If I knew I had a workout that was scheduled and I could go out to the track and complete it. That gave me the sense of like groundedness mm-hmm. and, um, and I could breathe and I could focus and take the next, next hour, <laughs> next day, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was all, that was all in your control. Whereas yeah, all these yeah. other things that you just described that are kind of bubbling under the surface mm-hmm. and they feel like they can explode at any time and you just don't, you don't feel like there's anything that you can do about it, but mm-hmm. running almost has this copacetic effect because you're like, okay, well, at least for this next hour, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like mm-hmm, I'm in, I'm mm-hmm. in control here, and that feels good, you know, when you're struggling mm-hmm. with with all this other stuff the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember a specific moment or a period in time when that switch flipped for you and running became more than just a means of burning calories and it became exactly what you just described, like this this kind of outlet, this thing you could do for yourself and have complete control over? Um, you know, interestingly enough, I would say that that switch started to happen um, after I ran my first marathon Hmm. And, um, and, and I got injured because I had shin splints. I, I started developing shin splints during training, but I did not know that that's what they were. And, um, I also, I had no idea what I was doing while I was <laughs> preparing for my first marathon. I use the term training very loosely because basically what happened was someone told me that, in order, if you could run half the distance of a race, then you can run the entire race. Mm-hmm. So then I just thought, okay, well, if a marathon is <laughs> 26.2 miles, I just need to be able to at least run 13 miles in my yeah. <laughs> practice time. And then that'll be that. Um, and so, and I also didn't know anything about you know, proper nutrition or fueling during a race, um, any of that. And so, you know, come race day, I show up and I definitely like I hit the wall by mile six. I wanted to die. I wanted to quit. My uh, shins were in pain and, um, but I somehow, you know, finish only later to find out, you know, two weeks after the race, my shins, my feet were still hurting. I finally go to the school, you know, the university um, health center and we got x-rays and sure enough, I had stress fractures um, in, in my shins. And um, the, the sports medicine doctor there happened to be female. And I don't think I appreciated the value and significance of that until like later in adulthood, because mm-hmm. she then actually, she was the one who explained to me, she asked me about my period and how regularly, you know, I was having my period and, um, and how, you know, for women, our cycles, it all ties into our bone density and, you know, our hormones, all of that. They're all linked. But for me, all I thought was, 
it's been great that I've been missing my period because mm. I don't have to deal with that. But, um, but all of those things played into, well, that and the, you know, uh, non-training really that was happening, you know, that all played into, uh, me fracturing my, my shins. And, um, but since then, like I have been a lot more mindful. Um, and then after that, I, changed my majors and I started studying nutrition. (laughs) So that was going to be my follow-up question was, were you already on that path to studying (laughs) nutrition or did this sequence of events that ended up with you in the university health center and this female doctor saying like, you know, hey, it's not good that you're missing your period and all these things are contributing, made you take this pivot and go down a different path? Um, I think at that point... Uh, oh, it was 2004. Um, I think at that point I was still double majoring. I had just started taking some intro to nutrition classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of that had to do with my eating disorder and, mm-hmm. um, wanting to learn more of how foods affect the human body. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, there is, there was still an aspect of who I am as a person who I really, I value, um, encouraging and helping others. And so that aspect of nutrition really spoke to me as well of like mm-hmm. being able to equip others to be able to thrive and live well, um, in life. And so, you know, I was just still, I would say a baby nutritionist at the time that I ran this marathon. Um, but then after learning, um, about the connections, you know, and seeing, you know, quite tangibly, uh, the connection between nutrition and health, um, especially in an athlete, um, yeah, I think that that, that, I don't know, that stuck with me. And that's something that I um, am very aware of now, especially when I um, read people's social media posts, or when I interact with other women who, um, you know, who are runners or just in, in general, I'm very, very aware of just diet culture, talk and mentality. And I try to use the knowledge and wisdom that I have gained to be able to gently um, guide or direct others to what is actually healthy. Um, Yeah. Well, number one, thank you for doing that because I think I know uh, there are a lot of folks out there who need that kind of help and otherwise wouldn't get it. And you're coming from a place of expertise, but also compassion because you've struggled with some of these things yourself. Um, And I appreciate you sharing all that. And part of your story resonated with me. I never studied nutrition in school, but I graduated college 2004. And the year after that, I was trying to make a go of it as a professional runner, whatever Mm -hmm. that means. And I had all these ideas in my head of how I needed to look. And Mm -hmm. part of that was I've got to, hey, I've got to lose like 15, 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I definitely fell into a pattern of disordered eating. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't studying this in school, but I went and found every sports nutrition book that I could Mm -hmm. possibly find and read them cover to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it wasn't in, in... with the intention of like, hey, I'm going to use this and help other people. It was like, no, I got to find that connection between intake uh, and like what I'm burning and like, you know, how I, you know, how I can, how I can do this. And I didn't do it like in a safe way. Um, but mm-hmm. I think there, 
you know, it's, it's interesting that that connection, um, people who do get caught in patterns of, of disordered eating and, you know, they, they gravitate toward, you know, either studying it in school or just trying to immerse themselves with as much information as, you know, as they, as they possibly can. And that can be a very dangerous trap. Yeah. And especially with all the information, or I would say misinformation that's out mm-hmm. there now, it's, I, you know, with disordered eating and, um, and just with diet culture in general, I think it's so important for us to ask ourselves, what is it that we're trying to achieve yes. ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's so much to why we eat the way that we do and why we believe, you know, that there are certain, yeah, why we believe this, the things that we do too. Like that was something that um, became very clear to me as I was studying nutrition to become a dietitian. that there was so much of this like mental health, like inner inner in, introspection, I should say, that um, needed to happen for people. Um, there's a lot of like cultural influence. There's a lot of societal influence. And then, and then when you think about like, well, as an athlete um, or, you know, in reference to your, your personal example, like just asking like, why, what was motivating you to um, make those decisions and those choices? Mm-hmm. You know, like what did that reflect of your view of your body and how sometimes in sports we kind of, we start to think of our bodies not as like, I don't know, we start to think of it more as like uh, a tool to mm-hmm. achieve a certain goal. Um, and we don't, see our bodies as like this vessel that we need to steward and care for well, because it's the only one that we're getting (laughs) for our life. You know, Um, that's something that has, that ended up and still does, you know, really it shapes my decisions around food and eating, especially now that I have uh, kids as well on, um, I just think about all those years that I spent, uh, restricting, you know, restricting certain foods um, and uh, really pushing my body physically um, without nourishing it well. And I just think about how like the long term impact mm-hmm. that that uh, had. And I mean, I hope that, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> all the choices that I've been making now in my adult life. Hopefully that can help to like replenish anything. But um, but, you know, I just. I think we need to talk a lot more about the link between nutrition, food, and um, just mental health mm-hmm. and and wellness. And um, again, I, I, that kind of just even ties into like why it's important for us to be able to identify um, what we're feeling and also identify what is it that we're actually hoping to achieve, you know, and what we're seeking <laughs> in doing these things. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I appreciate you sharing that. And for me, listening to you talk just now, the biggest takeaway and reminder is to constantly be checking in with ourselves and make Mm -hmm. sure that the decisions that we make in this regard with food are 
with the with the right intentions in mind. Like speaking for myself, like my initial goal was, okay, I'm going to make some of these changes because I want to perform at a higher level. And I think to a certain degree, like that's okay mm-hmm. uh, if you do mm-hmm. it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't do was keep checking in with myself and make sure that I was the decisions that I was making were helping me get closer to that end because it quickly became this game of, okay, how low can I get the numbers on a scale? Mm-hmm. And and that that was not what I was initially setting out, but I quickly, you know, ended up going that way. And it's a very dangerous pattern. And like my mental health was terrible um, <laughs> at the time. And a lot of things in my life suffered outside of just my running and like what was happening to, you know, my body, but I couldn't for a while talk about this with Mm -hmm. anyone. And Mm -hmm. like similar to like hearing you describe like all this stuff that, you know, you just didn't tell other people because it, you know, that's the way that you, you were brought up. And I was, you know, not in a Taiwanese American household, but my, my household was pretty similar. We just didn't talk about things. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and like that was, you know, pretty dangerous. And it was, it was this evolution of being able to break out of some of those habits and being able to, you know, ask, ask for help and learning to constantly check in with myself uh, that, you know, helped, helped me to eventually get to a better place. And I think there are a lot of people, um, not just in running, who, who need those reminders and need that kind of assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Shifting back to running, mm. was there a point or has there been a point when you would call yourself or when you called yourself a runner for the first time or think that was part of your identity? Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it really took some time. Um, I did run several races after that first marathon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember there was one time I was running through campus and there was uh, a mom and her child who was crossing the street. And then when I ran past them, um, I think the kid pointed at me and then the mom said, yep, that's right. She's a runner. And um And that just kind of stuck to me because I was surprised at that. And I also did not consider myself a runner. I don't know. And I don't even know why I didn't consider myself a runner because, I mean, I ran. But um, maybe it was because I was like running in basketball shorts and a cotton t-shirt. I don't know. But, um, But it just became one of these things that like I just did. And it there was no label, you know, to it. I just, it was almost like as normal to me as like, oh, I, I, as another aspect of your lifestyle or life, you know, like it was as normal to me as me saying like, oh, I'm going to classes today. And then after class, you know, I'm, I'm going for my run. Mm-hmm. And that was that. And, um, but I, I do think that it was later, um, probably later in my adult life as I, became a dietitian and I was practicing, you know, yeah, I think later in my adult life as it just became like just something that I did. And I really enjoyed um, looking for marathons to sign up for because again, I like the training plan. I like that <laughs> there's like two to three months at least of, you know, knowing what to expect on my schedule. And um, yeah, I guess it just kind of slowly, like it wasn't, there wasn't ever this like defining moment. It's just kind of slowly evolved to be something 
that I love doing. And it's just a part of my life. And it's like, it's a means, um, it's running opens up um, so many other aspects of my life to me, whether it's like connecting with other people, um, you know, seeing seeing others out um, in the different neighborhoods and places and being able to get to or getting to know uh, a certain area or a new city whenever we move somewhere. Running and going out for a run has been my favorite way to explore and get a feel for uh, a new place too, you know, and yeah, it's just kind of become a part of my life. So I guess, yeah, I'm a runner <laughs> in that sense. You mentioned how the races and like the two to three month training plan leading up to them were very motivating for you. Are you competitive with yourself in that regard when you would sign up for a race, say a marathon? Was it with the intention of trying to run faster than you did last time? Or was it just to complete this goal and take the steps toward it? Um, you know, it's interesting. I never cared about PRs or times mm -hmm. until I started exploring social media more <laughs> and the running community on social media. But um, before then, it was just all about, it was all about the preparing for the actual race and to be able to feel proud of myself, you know, after the fact. I mean, you know, when you have a, mar a first marathon that was as like terrible as mine, um, really, you can only go up from there. And <laughs> that basically, all the other races that I ran after that, it was just more with the goal of don't ever feel as crappy as that first race. And, um, and I would say that I am competitive, but more or less with myself. Mm -hmm. It's never been about like asking what your time is or what your pace was. And um, I like to, I used to really like um, finding the plans that had the beginner, intermediate and advanced levels, because then I would aim for the intermediate or advanced. And then if I couldn't finish that workout or like, you know, there's a week where I was just more tired or something. There was something reassuring about knowing, looking at the beginner's plan and then seeing that, okay, well, even if I was on the beginner's track, I would still be able to make it <laughs> and I would still be able to run the race. So I'm okay. Um, that kind of stuff. Like that's the kind of, I think it's like the inner, inner critic in me um, that's constantly like, just evaluating, did I, did I uh, give more effort this time around? Or did I prepare better this time around? Or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Competing with myself, you know, have I learned from this? And that kind of... That's yeah, I love it. I think there are a lot of people listening to this who can totally relate to that. Because whether we're fairly new to the sport or we've been at it for a while... Um, whether our goals are to run personal bests or just enjoy the process. I feel like that part of it is inherent to being a runner and is consistent across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to shift gears to the work you're doing with Diverse We Run. And the first question I have for you in regard to that is, when did you first notice that there was a lack of diversity in running or that there just weren't as many people who looked like you? Um... I would say uh, probably 
either 2017 or 2018. And that is around the time when uh, I made my Instagram account public because mm-hmm. before then, you know, I got Instagram back in 2010 when it first started. <laughs> um, and it was just mainly to post pictures of my daughter and <laughs> play with all these different fun filters and whatnot. And, um, and then it wasn't until, yeah, like in the recent years that then I don't, was it because I was injured? <laughs> no, I don't remember. All these, all these opportunities for exploring <laughs> when you're injured. Um, but I think that that's what happened. And so, um, because I wasn't running, um, I thought, well, let's explore what uh, else Instagram has to offer. And, um, and that was when I came upon this whole hashtag world. <laughs> and maybe that's late in the game, but yep, 2017, 2018. And, um, I started, um, just following all these different runners that the Instagram explore page would suggest to me. And, um, and then I started discovering, uh, all the different running podcasts, um, that were out there. I just, I had no idea that podcasts on this specific topic of running (laughs) existed. I mean, now at this point, I feel like I'm so immersed in, (laughs) in this running world. It seems, I'm like, how can you not know that it existed? But um, well, to be fair, a lot has changed in <laughs> at least that part of the running world in the past two years. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, podcasts and newsletters, two things of of which I do uh, mm-hmm. on a weekly basis, have have definitely exploded uh, yes. in the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, at the time, like this is all very new. And so I just was trying, I was like devouring as much, you know, running community related information as possible. And, um, and then, so, you know, it's just like with any other, you know, show that you discover and you start, you know, watching all the episodes (laughs) one after the other, that's basically when I started to notice, um, just kind of like, Hey, okay, well, so it's, it's another uh, um, it's another runner that looks the same as the previous runner and it's another story that basically is the same as the other like 10 stories you know that I've already heard and um but you know these are all things that growing up as a non-white person <laughs> um I've just learned to take in stride and um I don't it's just a kind of like a normal part of existing. Um, but then I think at one point there was a podcaster who had shared um, some picture previews of upcoming speakers and guests and um, just seeing the faces all in one place across the board. I think that was actually kind of just there was no denying the mm-hmm. whiteness and um and all and not just the whiteness but like the sameness of body type stride and um and i don't know it just it was just this moment when i was clicking through and looking and realizing like is this is this the is this representative of the running community? Is this what is expected? Is this the norm? And is this what uh, the status quo is supposed to be? 
Um, and so I kind of sat on that for a while. Um, but I don't know, there was just something that stirred in me. And so I reached out to that podcaster and just, um, kind of suggested and brought up (laughs) some uh, recommended, you know, a couple of other runners and, um, just kind of brought up like, Hey, have you considered, uh, or did you, have you even noticed, you know, that, um, it, everybody kind of seems homogenous and would you consider, um, you know, interviewing and talking with different people. And again, at that time, you know, (laughs) it just talking about race was, I mean, it still is, I think, uncomfortable for many, many people. Sure. Um, But definitely two, three years ago, I, I, for me to have done that, I, I, it was actually really scary (laughs) um, for me because I already, felt like an outsider mm-hmm. looking in. And so there was a part of me that is so used to assimilating that there was a part of me that was just like, am I even allowed to bring this up? You know? Um, and, uh, and I did that with a couple of other, um, you know, people who were, you know, very popular, influential in the running world. And um, basically the response that I got from everybody was around the same. You know, everybody was very nice, very understanding. Um, But then just kind of was like, yeah, okay, okay. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. (laughs) There was no change, however. No, yeah, you know. um, And then that was that. And and then... um, you know, for me, I just decided, you know what, like, I'll, I'm going to look for other runners. I, there has to be, there have to be other Asian runners, you know? So I looked under that hashtag, Asian runners. And I think at that time, there were like a hundred posts maybe in that hashtag. Um, and then I looked up hashtag black runners, hashtag Latino runners, you know, and just kept delving into other hashtags. And sure enough, you know, there are so many runners of color, um, but they're like our stories were just not um were just not represented or talked about and um and it was just fascinating to me to notice how even the types of pictures that people would post on their social media, you know, were very different. Um, so on one hand, you know, with, with all of the Instagram suggested accounts for me to follow, there they were all of you know, white women who were skinny and lean, full body poses, hands on the hips and, um, talking about juggling family and, and running at 4am and, um, and that's great. But then you have this other world, it seemed like, you know, of black runners or black women, you know, runners who are talking about their running hair or hair care when running or, um, it's just like, or indigenous runners, you know, people who honored the land that they were running on or talked, you know, the focus of running was different as well. And people's purpose for running um, were very different. And, um, and it was just so, to me, I felt like there was just such a loss in the running community that we were not getting to hear from this whole other world. And, um, 
And so I just kind of was like processing and holding all of these things in my mind. And um, towards the end, I think of 2018, I had attended this one um, running panel event um, up in, I think it was New Hampshire. And um, I showed up and I was one of less than five, you know, women of color who were there in that room of hundreds of women. And all the panelists were all white women. And all the things that they were sharing um, were, you know, they were all amazing athletes. Um, But there was just kind of like, I don't know, I just felt like there was a homogenousness. (laughs) I feel like I'm making up words here. But um, in, in their tone, and in their perspective. Um, and, um, and I just went away from that. uh, Yeah. And I went away, I came home from that conference or not conference, sorry, that panel event, um, feeling so much like an outsider, um, based on the stories that were shared, but also the social interactions from that evening. Um, and um, noticing a lot of the the microaggressions at the time, mm-hmm. I also could not put words to what I was feeling, but um, something felt off to you. Yeah, and um, just seeing the lack of eye contact and engagement with me, no matter how um, how open and, and presentable <laughs> uh, I was making myself, and um, I just came home feeling like, what just happened? You know, I just attended this event that was supposed to be for someone like me, you know, a runner in the running community. And yet the things that were said and the ways that I was made to feel like I have just never felt so much like an outsider, you know, amongst so many people who were supposed to be like my own people. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing that feeling with another runner friend of mine whom I met on Instagram and she's biracial. And um, she also then was sharing to me how discouraged she constantly felt that Instagram was hardly ever um, suggesting, you know, runners of color to her to follow um, and that she rarely sees um, any black women who are representative of who she is, you know, on Instagram. So then I think just the culmination of those, those feelings um, that then at that point, I was like, you know what, I've, I have tried to ask people who are influential in the industry. I have tried to connect now with others, you know, and put myself physically in um, events and situations, you know, with other runners who are supposed to be a part of my community. And if nobody else is going to care about uh, amplifying, you know, <laughs> voices of persons of color, if nobody else is going to care about our stories, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something about it. And so that's just a long-winded way of saying <laughs> that is how I started Diverse We Run. And it just started as a hashtag. Um, and I <laughs> I spent a lot of time agonizing over what I would even call this <laughs> thing. And I settled on Diverse We Run because I just thought it was a clever play on, you know, United We Stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, uh, that's what happened. And I just, I uh, reached out to the different runners um, whom I had already connected with, you know, on Instagram through all those different hashtags. And I asked if they would be willing to, you know, share their running journey and their why 
is, you know, of why they run. And um, I came up with a list of questions, um, you know, just asking people about their culture, their background, if they had ever experienced any discrimination, you know, in the sport of running, in the world of running, and um, and how, um, yeah, like how their how their race or how their cultural background impacts um, their experience in running, and um, and after people you know send me their answers and any favorite running pictures, then I um, I edit everything together and post their stories. So yeah, that's how it all started. (laughs) Outside of what you were noticing on Instagram and at this panel event that you attended, did you start to pay closer attention to what was happening in your actual community? Like when you were out running or if you were to meet up with a group or when you were at a race, did you start to look at things through a different lens at that point? Uh, honestly, <laughs> I think just growing up as a Taiwanese American female, I am always very aware of um, of who I am and of the people around me and of any uh, differences, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Um, and I think a lot of that also just came from the fact that uh, elementary school years, I actually grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. And so I had like all my friends were black or brown. And then middle school, my parents wanted me to be able to go to a quote unquote, you know, good (laughs) school. And so we moved to a different neighborhood that was then predominantly all white. And then there was a small population of, um, of Asian families. And it was at that point, starting in middle school, um, that a lot of um, just racially led <laughs> conflicts um, and experiences started to blossom in my life, I guess you would say. And, um, and just, it was just through all those things, like even just ranging from, you know, being called racial slurs or um, having my friends, you know, like beat up on or pushed into lockers and stuff all the way to, um, you know, uh, at one point, all of the, a lot of the white families went to the school district um, and school board to complain about the number of Asian families moving into our neighborhood because apparently the Asian students were ruining the the curve <laughs> for their students and wanting to limit the number of Asian families who are allowed to, <laughs> to be at schools. Um, just things like that um, have always made me already just very aware mm-hmm. of racial dynamics. And so, um, so yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, because of these recent events that have happened, you know, that now I'm showing up to races and being aware that I'm like one of very few persons of color. I think I've just always already been aware of that. But um, but running was such an individual sport to me until I started exploring social media Um and then I started to, that was actually what made me see how deeply these, um, the racial dynamics mm-hmm. actually ran 
Huh. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> in, in our society. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess that's what I'm most interested in is is you know when you were at races. I mean, yes, you're you're always aware of you know your experience um, throughout your life and how it relates in that particular situation. But did you start noticing things more like microaggressions or the fact that you know, hey, this actually is not you know as as diverse as it's made out to be, those sorts of things? Um, I think for me, things that I had just kind of, there were things that I just kind of accepted as, as normal mm-hmm. um, races, uh, such as, um, you know, especially during marathons where spectators are so um, are so crucial, you know, to helping, I think, <laughs> helping runners um, during those the later miles. But I felt like I, and I'd always suspected um, that there was a difference in people cheering for the white runners around me. But then like, just being silent when it came to me and see, and it sounds silly when I say it out loud, but that just is such a common experience where like, you know, you have your race bib, you have your name on your bib. And then as a group of runners, you know, goes down whatever, you know, mile or street, and then the spectators can see, you know, your name, um, I had just always noticed like people, the people around me would be cheered for, but then it's almost like it would almost feel as if I were invisible in terms of like, then the spectators would gloss over, you know, gloss over me and then immediately already focus on the runners behind me to cheer for them. And like, those are moments where it's like, I can't prove anything. This is just like my suspicion or my feeling. And then I have to decide in that moment, is this like, is this a race thing or is it not? But then also ask myself, is it even worth <laughs> worth my energy <laughs> to process over? Um, or should I just keep focusing on the step before me and focus on my race, you know? And yeah, like those were just always experiences that, yeah, that I felt or picked up on or, you know, going into race expos or when you go to pick up your race gear, um, just, noticing the differences in how the people at the different, what's it called? The tables. <laughs> yes, the booths. <laughs> you know, noticing the eagerness or the lack of eagerness, I should say, in talking with with me um, versus the other white runners around me. Uh, just those types of things that like, Again, I don't think I was able to put words to it mm-hmm. until my adult years now. I'm sorry that you've had to experience that and that other people have had to experience that too. But I appreciate you sharing those experiences because they're eye-opening, even to someone like me who's been around a lot of races and a lot of expos and you know a lot of different runners because I think it's easy to not notice those things because they're not so blatant. I guess, Um, or, you know, as runners, we're all kind of caught up in what it is that we're doing in that specific moment. You don't realize, like, if you're running next to me, like, hey, they're cheering for me and not her necessarily, Mm -hmm. or at least like I I wouldn't pick up on that like right away. But I think hearing stories like yours, and I've had other runners on my podcasts who have shared similar experiences, it just makes, 
it makes us more aware. It makes more runners aware of the fact that not everyone's experience is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's those small things, seemingly small things, you know, mm-hmm. that truly they, it builds the feeling of inclusivity and community. You know, it's easy to feel like, oh, yeah, there is a community. What are you talking about? You know, when, yeah, you're the one who's been cheered for, <laughs> you know, every race that you've been on and you're the one that's been like, you know, welcomed and greeted <laughs> with a big smile every expo you've been to. And like, of course, you would feel like the running community is great, but when you don't, <laughs> when mm-hmm. you're not the recipient of those things and you continuously show up in these spaces, um, what's communicated to you is that like, you don't really belong here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. In recent months, we've seen a lot of people, mostly on social media, because we can't really gather in large groups right now, but also brands mm-hmm. taking like individual and collective stands for racial justice um, and doing more work to increase diversity in running. And I think that's all great. It's a necessary step in the right direction. But what more do we do? How do we keep that momentum going so that we can create widespread, but most importantly, lasting change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big question. Um, lasting change, right? How do we do that? And I mean, I was just talking to someone about this earlier today, how it's been pretty revealing in the recent month, recent weeks to see how many, uh, you know, supposed, I guess, run fluencers or how many brands and companies kind of getting tired, (laughs) getting tired of, quote unquote, talking about race. Um, And like, that's the thing you know, changing the racial inequities and granting more, or not granting, but like building a more accessible sport uh, and building a more diverse community, all of these things, it takes time. And um, the work of, I hate to use these like buzzwords, but like the work of dismantling, (laughs) um, the, the systemic, I guess like the way that we, that society has operated, Mm -hmm. that is, that's long-term work. Yes. And it's not something that's going to be changed by joining a book club or reading a couple of articles and feeling, you know, that feeling that, "Mm," that conviction, you know, Um, it's good. And, um, but we really need to be thinking about, you know, the people around us, you know, uh, whether it's uh, us as individual runners uh, or for companies, running organizations and groups, you know, who are the core people around us whom we're listening to, whom we're allowing to influence our way of thinking? Um, are they all the same <laughs> um, or are they actually different? And are we open? Are we open to listening to diverse thoughts and experiences and voices? Because it's a lot easier to say that we do, but it definitely is not comfortable, um, the process of that, you know? Um, I think just by nature, diversity is uncomfortable, (laughs) Um, at least initially, right? Until we can embrace and accept 
the discomfort of having someone with a different opinion, a different life experience, um, and different idea or way of doing things. Um, and I, I think sometimes it's like that, that part is not, that part is not trendy or, you know, or glamorous. We'd like to think that like community, diverse community is, um, I don't know. We like. I think that the idea of it is a lot easier to swallow, but um, the execution of it, yeah, not so much. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more introspection. <laughs> there we go again. Maybe that's the theme of today's conversation. <laughs> but um, I think there's a lot of introspection that needs to be done, and we don't all know how to do that, nor do we have the language. But um, but we need to be willing. Um, to listen and learn. And not everybody is ready for that, I don't think. How about in our actual in-person communities, in our running clubs, in mm-hmm. our local races, those those sorts of things? Because, I mean, a lot of people spend much of their time online and scrolling Instagram and you can see people from around the world um, sharing their sharing their stories, sharing their ideas. But I mean, I'm, I'm of the belief that it's got to start closest to us individually. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got to do, we've got to do more work to look at, look at our group. What can we do to start like shifting that? And, and I haven't heard a lot of talk around that. It's something I've been thinking about personally here, you know, in my own community when we can do these sorts of things safely again. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just curious to get your thoughts on how important that aspect of it is. Well, I guess, you know, in response to what you just shared about looking at your own running groups, my question would be, what is, what would be your goal and purpose mm-hmm. of shifting? You know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Um, and is it, is it diversity simply for diversity's sake? Like, is it just simply, would you feel okay just simply saying like, oh, hey, look, we have, now we have a, a black runner on our team or in our group, you know? Is it, is that the extent um, in which you would feel good about having accomplished something? Or are you really, are you trying to create or foster something different? You know, are you trying to create, cultivate a community? Um, Because I think that, you know, defining what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish, that is also revealing of something, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think if if you're wanting to even, let's say, simply connect with other runners who are not like you, quote unquote, right? Then, then maybe it doesn't mean, maybe it doesn't mean that you, you need to go and like recruit other runners into your group. It could mean just like looking for the existing running groups that are already, you know, running in your area, but maybe like in a different, different part of town or something. And, um, and joining up with other, other running communities, um, running groups that, yeah, that could already help to diversify your relationships. <laughs> you know, I think that there's not necessarily like one 
cookie cutter um, way of going about things. But um, I think it, again, goes back to you evaluating relationships of those around you and then asking yourself, what it, what is it that you're trying to ultimately accomplish and achieve? Because there really is, there's a difference, right, between the idea of diversity versus like relation, relation, building up relational community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think there, you know, on some level there are, are groups and organizations and maybe brands who are going in this direction to have diversity for diversity's sake, just to say like, Hey, look at this. It's, you know, it, it's way more diverse, but I think you make a good point in saying, keep the, you know, keep the main purpose in mind. It, I mean, it's, it's similar in some ways of thinking to what we were discussing earlier about, you know, our, our relationship with, you know, food and disordered eating and um, nutrition and stuff like that. It's like, hey, why are, why are you making these decisions? Um, and it's very similar here. It's like, why are you making these decisions? And, you know, just speaking for myself as, as we're, you know, talking through this, I mean, one of the themes of, of my, my work and what I do with my newsletter and my podcast, but certainly with my coaching as well, is to show, is, is to show runners like, hey, we have more in common than we do differently. Um, we all come from different backgrounds. And the other thing is like, and this is why I'm so interested in identity, is like running means different things to different people. Um, mm-hmm. And it holds a different place in their life. And I think, I mean, myself coming from a competitive background, I know a lot of people like that's all it is for them. It's a competitive outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and for other people, it's a it's a coping mechanism. For other people, it's a community building type of thing. Uh, and I think the more that we can let people know that, hey, this means different things to different people. Um, mm-hmm. it's It's accessible from the standpoint that you know, it doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, how big you are, how small you are, how fast you are, how slow you are. Um, like you can, you can still run. And, you know, despite those differences, there's a lot more in common there. And I think we need to, to show people that that's, that's what exists out there. And when we have that, um, the community becomes stronger, it becomes bigger. Um, and, you know, it, it's naturally diverse, I think, in that way. Hmm. Yeah. I have to think about that, actually. <laughs> I do agree that there there is a commonality in the act of running mm-hmm. or accessibility in the act of running itself like that. Right. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't know. Can you explain a little more of what you mean by there's like a natural diversity? A natural diversity in terms of like the the reasons that all these people who who run, who put one foot in the in front of the other and partake in the act of of running, like there's diversity in their reasons for doing that. Mm. Um, you know, diversity in that way, not meaning just just in mm. terms of race. Um, mm. There's diversity in regard that if you were to take a you know a pretty wide sample of people saying like you know hey what's you know what's your background um how did you get into the sport? I mean, I know this because I've interviewed so many people. I mean, for a hundred and you know, if I, if I interview 150 different people, I'm not going to get 150 different answers, but I've gotten like quite a few like different mm-hmm. answers. There's diversity like in, in that way. Um, if mm-hmm. I ask someone the question like, hey, what, what does running mean for you or what place does it hold in your life? Like the, the set of answers there is, is going to be, you know, diverse. And I think those things like they, they transcend, you know, race, they transcend 
gender. Um, those, you know, those those are things that that can be like diverse across the board. Um, but then I think when you, you know, when you try and like get a level deeper to that and understand like you know, better understand someone's journey, you know, in the sport, the challenges that they've, you know, maybe faced in their running journey. Um, you know, it's, it's accessible in the fact that all we have to do is put one foot in front of the other, but not, it's not accessible in regard to the fact that everyone's, you know, opportunities are going to be the same. Um, and I think that's what we need to better understand about these other, you know, other runners in the widespread community is that not everyone's, you know, opportunities um, are, are exactly are exactly the same. I don't know if that makes sense. No, yeah, that does. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for explaining. This time that we're living through right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been going on eight months or so now. Do you think because people are out of their routines and generally not paying attention to races and the things that happen at very set times of the year. Do you think that's actually helped to bring awareness to the issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, representation in running? Yeah, I I think so. Um, Because everyone kind of was already focused on trying to connect with each other and wanting to see what everyone else was doing or thinking about or talking about. I think it definitely helped all of us to just focus on one thing that needed to be focused and talked about for a long, long, long time. <laughs> and so I think, you know, what happened with Ahmaud Arbery, that that definitely, that precipitated, you know, this entire, th- mm-hmm. this new wave, you know, and so... Yeah, I mean that's kind of what COVID has done for us. I think in on so many levels, right? It's become re-evaluate. a clarifying. Yeah, yeah, it's made us reevaluate many, many things of life as we knew it before. As a running community, how do we move forward from here and make sure that we don't lose the momentum that's been built over these past several months? Um, I think accountability, setting up accountability for ourselves is important. And that ties into looking at the people around you. You know, um, that's another benefit of having diverse voices and diverse relationships and people in our life, right? That we have accountability to continue uh, thinking through, working through um, the things that we claim are valuable or important to us. And so, you know, when it comes to, let's say, um, just, you know, just as an individual runner, um, you know, the accounts that we follow or the people whom we most regularly interact with outside of our families, um, are they people who will challenge <laughs> uh, challenge our way of thinking? Um, are they people who will speak truth with love and gentleness <laughs> into our lives? And uh, we need to keep, I, I don't know, I think we need to be aware of of that. And that is how we would keep momentum going. I guess, I, I don't know, momentum, that almost, uh, I have mixed feelings about that word. but. Um, 
But yeah, for the longevity <laughs> of making change, let's say. Well, um, creating lasting change, which is what yeah. we said earlier. And that I think that is shame on me for um, for using the word momentum. But I think, yeah, you're exactly right. Like creating lasting change yeah, is what's yeah. important. Mm-hmm. My last question for you, and it's one that I ask of a lot of my guests at the end of uh, these conversations is what's exciting you in running right now? <laughs> what's exciting me? Um, Oh gosh, this is a good question. Um, well, for me personally, what's exciting is thinking about uh, what lies ahead. I mean, I'm personally coming back from having surgery on my right foot. And so, you know, this whole pandemic has been a season of rebuilding for me already. And um, and even though I know a lot of races are, I'm mean, all races <laughs> are canceled, um, still, it's still exciting to think of this time as like, we're accumulating potential energy to be released, you know, into kinetic energy <laughs> um, sometime in the future. Uh, so that's, personally, that's exciting. But then on a you know, social level, what's been exciting to me has been these types of conversations, you know, that we're no, we're no longer as afraid to talk about important things (laughs) in our life. And, um, and yeah, that's exciting to me. Well, I thank you for this conversation. It, did admittedly uh, get uncomfortable at times, but I think that's okay. I think that's where growth happens. That's where learning happens. I've certainly learned a lot from you. And I thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks for having me, Mario. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to support the show, Please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com support. I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown, which I co-host with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, and I also offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing before we wrap up. If you are digging the podcast, I think you will love the Morning Shakeout email newsletter. Every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a short collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to, and you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 